This is True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico in the American Desert Southwest. Welcome back to True Consequences. I'm your host, Eric Carter Landine. Today I speak with Cheyenne Antonio from the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. Our topic of discussion is the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls in New Mexico, as well as sex trafficking. Cheyenne spends some time talking about the culture of violence that the Native American community has experienced over the last several hundred years. She goes pretty in-depth into this and talks about how missing and murdered indigenous people is not a new issue. In fact, it's an issue that has been occurring for centuries. Now, what's happened is because of the internet and because people have more access to information, it definitely has become more prominent in the mindset of many Americans. The issue itself is very complicated and very difficult to navigate, which makes any kind of solution seem very far away. I wish I could tell you that from our conversation, we were able to solve this issue and come up with a solution. Unfortunately, due to the complex nature of the missing and murdered indigenous people, it's just not possible to have a magic wand solution. There are some things that need to change in regards to legislation, but even that may not be sufficient to solve this problem. I walked away from this interview really feeling like there's so much work to do. I don't really even know what that's going to look like, but I hope that this episode is a step in the right direction in terms of creating some awareness and conversation around the fact that there are many thousands of missing indigenous women and girls in this country. And the sad fact of the matter is that many of them are likely victims of sex trafficking. And for those that aren't, they may be likely murdered, which is horrible to think about. Hopefully this episode sheds some light on this issue. It's my hope, as with all my other episodes, that we're able to have a dialogue about this. And hopefully through this conversation, some people will be able to come up with strategies and tactics that may help create a dent in this problem. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. You can find us on all social media platforms. Facebook and Instagram is True Consequences Pod, and Twitter is True Cons Pod. You can find more information about this episode at www.trueconsequences.com. If you want to support this one-person show, you can go to patreon.com slash trueconsequences. Your support really means a lot, and it helps ensure that I can continue providing new content every week for you. True Consequences is 100% listener supported, and I'd like to take a second to thank our newest patron subscriber, Ice Cream Man. Thanks, Ice Cream Man. I appreciate you. There are several levels of giving, even as low as $1 a month. Every little bit helps. I'm also excited to announce that I've launched some merchandise available on my website at trueconsequences.com merchandise. There's shirts, mugs, stickers, pens, lots of cool stuff there, so check it out. Okay, that's enough announcements for today. Let's listen to Cheyenne Antonio with the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. 
My name is Cheyenne Antonio. I'm Diné from the Eastern Navajo Territory. It's also known as like one of the checkerboarded areas of the Navajo Nation. And I'm the Sex Trafficking Project Coordinator for the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. And what I do is assist all Nineteen Pueblos, two Apache Nations, the Navajo Nation, Ute Mountain Nation, Yisleta Delser down in Texas. As a sex trafficking project coordinator, I assist policy advocacy, technical assistance, support, and overall education around sex trafficking and now tying that into missing and murdered Indigenous women. And so I've been doing this work for about three years. It's definitely one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, but it's also a passion. With MMIW, are also known as the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, and also our Two-Spirit relatives, our LGBTQ2 plus relatives, who also are in need of justice, as well as women and girls. In the ways that I've gotten involved in this is just through my own experiences um, with my family and navigating what does justice look like, or if it even exists within our homelands. And the reason why I say that is because The missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls epidemic is not a new issue. Um, This has been going on for 500 years in the ways that this country was founded through violence, through genocide, ecocide, all these terms, but really just the erasure of Indigenous people. And we see that even now with our relatives in Mexico to Guatemala to Venezuela to Bolivia, like Native people right now. Brazil, yeah, like we're all targeted and it's the same old policies that this nation has forced onto us. And so in really looking at this issue, it's international and it's beyond the borders because now we even see young brown indigenous children in cages and that's not right, you know, separating them from their parents. And um, we've seen that during the 1800s and early 1900s of the boarding school era and children being taken away from their families. And we see it now in 2019. Just to tie that in, that it's continuous, and the only ways that we can come together is work together in solidarity and to sort of, like, step away from what the U.S. wants us to think as far as, like, immigration issues and things like that. But really, the border is what divided us, and we worked together um, beyond borders. And so with that, um, just to add in some numbers, that homicide is the third leading cause of death among 10 to 24 years of age and the fifth leading cause of death of American Indian and Alaska Native women between 25 and 34 years old. And with that, you know, a lot of our homelands aren't able to prosecute non-Natives. And so within federal policies that we're advocating for, such as VAWA, Um, we're trying our best to make sure that these policies really give us our sovereignty back. But it's also hard because, you know, with 500 years of colonization in it, if it's continuing, it seems like it's just a drop of the problem, just a drop. The legacy of violence within our region is at the front of the origin of the United States and what it is today. Oftentimes, people don't know within the Southwest, especially here in New Mexico, that this was 
a center for slave trade um, in Albuquerque, Santa Fe, where they targeted Diné, Pueblo, Apache people. And if we really think of it, before colonization, there there was a lot of violence that was placed on to Native people here, and a lot of tribes have been erased because of the violence, especially within New Mexico. And in learning all of this and just learning about genocide, really, and how it's continuous, like you see a lot of tribes slowly coming back and re-grounding themselves and their culture and really learning how to take that on and um, using that as a way of healing and providing a guidance for families who go through this sort of violence. Mm -hmm. Within our families, we oftentimes see that the violence is normal because of this impact of I think what you're saying is that people, you know, Native peoples have been exposed to this type of generational violence for hundreds of years. So it's become normalized mm -hmm. in the culture and almost expected. Is that kind of the gist of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, but also not just Native people, like everyone. In general, In yeah. general, everyone. Um, I think culturally, the U.S. is a culture of violence. Would you agree mm -hmm. with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is a culture of violence, and it continues to be a culture of violence. And I think that's one of the main things that here at the coalition we're having conversations around um, in ways that our people, everyone really just deals with this every day. And... Um, as far as MMIW and having that come up and even more and more and people want to get involved. And I think it's important to just like center families because there are countless stories and our relatives, it seems like their spirits are still wanting us to seek justice or what is the form of justice um, when it comes to unsolved cases, um, when we know that the perpetrators in the community themselves, what does it really look like as far as holding our relatives who use violence? Because we can't kick them out, right? Because they'll always be around. But also, like, what does it look like as far as um, holding a person accountable who, who caused harm? Um, and what are the ways that we can help them? If not help them, I don't know what that looks like, right. because that's... That's a that's a whole nother that's a whole nother thing. It's a whole different topic. Yeah. <clears throat> so one of the things that I was surprised to learn about when I was looking into missing indigenous people in general, uh, New Mexico really has a high number. I think the highest number in the U.S. in terms of you know native people who go missing or murdered. Why do you think it's so high in this state? I think. The reason why it's so high within New Mexico is because oftentimes Native people are erased from the conversation. Um, and you see that a lot as far as like the erasure of Indigenous people being celebrated, such as like the Entrada, um, Columbus, Day. Columbus Day, Thanksgiving, um, all of these like Pueblo houses that look hella urban but aren't really Pueblo houses, but it's sort of just a trend. It's like Native people are trendy, um, and you see that a lot with, like, mascots. You see it with Pocahontas, to where Native women are sexualized, um, although, like, Pocahontas was trafficked and at the age of 12. 
Um, so like all of these things that the U.S. kind of portrays on Native people, that's sort of like that's in the way mm-hmm. that's getting in the mm-hmm. way and completely normalizing the erasure and normalizing that Native people are no longer here when in fact that we are here, we have our own nations, and um, we're trying to figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, well, would you say that it trivializes your existence Mm -hmm. as a people so that maybe people don't care? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think needs to be done, either from a legislative perspective or from a judicial perspective? Really, I mean, I, I think something is better than nothing, but what do you think immediately needs to change? I know the Violence Against Women Act is something that uh, Congresswoman Holland is fighting for, and and several other people are fighting for. I think it's an important piece of legislation that needs to, but I don't think that's the whole picture. It's not going to fix everything. I think as far as the VAWA Act, what needs to also be mentioned within that legislation um, is acknowledging sexual violence. Um, not just domestic violence, but all forms of violence when it comes to women and girls. But also, because within that document, I know it doesn't really mention sexual violence. A lot of our relatives experience that. Like Native women have the highest numbers, um, especially in New Mexico, but also with VAWA, it's expensive to adopt legislations, and what we're seeing here within the Southwest is that not many nations are adopting the VAWA, and I think it's important for also, like, at a legislation level, at the federal level, like, yes, please advocate, please input that, um, you know, sexual violence needs to be acknowledged, the violence that our trans women experience, that's, that also needs to be in there as well. Um access to reproductive health like there's so many things that needs to be put into that so there's that but also at the tribal level um encouraging tribes to have the conversations to adopt VAWA um what are ways that our tribes could also use that document because you know not all tribes have a fancy western system Mm -hmm. because not all tribes want to adopt that and so just initiating that conversation of like, what does it look like to really protect your people? What does it look like to making sure your people have access to therapy, to have access to cultural teachings and knowledge? Um, And I think that's also an obligation that our representatives need to have. And as far as like making sure that our nations are protecting themselves, but then that's, it's 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 complicated. It's a very complicated it's, issue. Yeah, yeah, and it's very complex <laughs> because I hope our leaders know that the U.S. is also a culture of violence, mm-hmm. and that the U.S. is also a part of the problem when it comes to our, our international relatives, our in, international indigenous relatives, such as like what's going on in the South right now, in the Gulf, in Bolivia, um, in areas in like Mexico, and like. What are ways that we're, we're coming together, but also not, not not having that power and control that the U.S. is solely hanging on to? Um, and when I say power and control, like the power and control of violence, it's like the same as a domestic violence, you know, um, pattern of like the honeymoon stages and things go violently and then you come back together again and it's just a, it's an ongoing cycle of violence mm. of power and control. And I feel like 
as Native people, we, we know that we know that relationship very well. And we see that within New Mexico of being one of the highest numbers of missing and murdered Indigenous women. And, you know, the lack, I, I don't like to say the lack of, but really the lack of um, prosecution, the lack of all these other things, these tools, these Western tools that aren't being taught, but are like forced um, and are how do you navigate that? You know, how do you navigate when you're missing or murdered, like relative goes missing or murdered, and you have to go through this system that isn't tra- isn't trauma informed, um, doesn't really know how to work with people of color, um, especially poor people of color, and um, you see that more and more. Yeah. Um, and it, it it's it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming and. We can have, I feel like, you know, the, the data matters, but also, like, at what point are we really going to take action and know that implementing these legislations will take years, yeah. you know? It, it took years for VAWA to be created. It took a lot. But to see this very, in political times, seeing how frustrating it is to even just have a conversation about a border, which is also a, a, an, an act of violence, and separating, you know, people and animals and that how much that also impacts the people who live there. There's there's people on both sides of all of these issues. And I think that as a culture, unfortunately, you know, there's a kind of a mentality of if it's not happening to me, it doesn't matter. And it's a very selfish mentality, I think. And I just want to encourage people that may not agree with, you know, some of the the points that are being made here to just try to listen from a human standpoint and try to understand if you were in that situation, how you would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you were running away from a corrupt, violent, homicidal government, trying to find safety, how you would want to be treated. And I, I, I just... I wish that we would, could go back to a place of civility in this nation where we could talk about things even if we don't agree on them mm-hmm. and and just try to find some common ground. Because at the end of the day, you know, your neighbors are missing. Your neighbors are being murdered. Your neighbors are being sex trafficked. And if you don't care because it's not happening to you, then I would ask you to to search your heart and find out where your heart is. Because it's a big problem. It's a huge problem in this state. And just saying, oh, it's too complicated or, or, oh, you know, I don't know what to do is not enough anymore. Ignoring it isn't going to make it go away. So, you know, I would just ask if you're on another side politically from, from some of these topics to just try to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who lost their mother or their sister or their aunt and they don't know where they're at. Try to put yourself there as you're listening to this. Yeah, it's a tough conversation because this is happening to children. It's happening to children. It's happening to... And that, that that's one thing. Like, it's, it's inhumane to target children. Mm-hmm. I don't know why but in this state you know a lot of children in new mexico experience a lot of violence and they see a lot of violence and they grow up in it and to combat 
to combat that also is it's a privilege if it doesn't affect you. A hundred percent. And if if it's a privilege, then you need to do something about it because it's very concerning if a privileged person doesn't know what their neighbor's experiencing or what sort of like what you were saying earlier. Because, you know, it, if it doesn't affect you, it's going to affect someone down the line um, because violence has no boundaries. And now in 20, like in 2019, I can't believe we're even in the state, but... Violence doesn't see color. Mm-hmm. Violence doesn't see economic status. Violence doesn't see political party, political mm-hmm. affiliation. And inaction is, is what has landed us in this mess. I think all in all in like ways to to combat this is just being a good relative and it it doesn't it's it's not hard. What does it mean to be a good relative? What that means to me as far as being a good relative is and what I say is like it's easy to be ugly. It's very easy to be ugly. But in order to be kind um, and have respect and just looking out for your community, that's that's being a good relative. Um, if you see a relative on the streets and it's cold, if you have an extra jacket, because a person should not have 20 jackets like that. That's over. That's a, that's a lot. And so in being a good relative, you know, if you have the means, if you have the material items, because materialistically, like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying being a good relative, you have to have all these material things. But mm-hmm. being a good relative is being kind to yourself and having those boundaries of like what you can take on, but also what can you give? What can you help? Um, and at least making sure that someone is warm, someone is fed, the basic needs of a human person to survive, and what are the ways that you can provide help for that person. I feel like that's being a good relative is really just being a human being first and for- foremost, like regardless of your politics, regardless of your race. Um, that's a, a well-stated point. You know, kindness, it can go a long way to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though we have this huge insane impossible situation in front of us you could make a difference in one person's life Mm -hmm. you can make an impact on one person's life and maybe one child who has grown up with nothing but violence in their life that little act of kindness could be the difference between them living and them committing suicide Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i think that's a it's a good point let's let's be kind yeah. Let's talk about sex trafficking. Let's talk about that in New Mexico, what that looks like, um, since that is that is a lot of what you focus on. What's the what's the picture? What's it? What's happening in our state? So, as far as sex trafficking within our communities and our tri- in our tribal communities, we've been seeing a lot of parents trafficking their own children um, for alcohol. Uh, meth, rent, and really in ways to survive or whatever whatever it takes. It's hard because we, in ways that we're trying our best to provide an alternative solution is by having our relatives call the 505 Get Free number. And with that 505 Get Free, it's a hotline for victims of trafficking and um there are also a shelter, so, so it's with the LifeLink. They're a shelter-based program, and whenever they receive a victim, they try their best to help them out. 
Um, there are also nations um, and pueblos who are also taking that on and finding ways to help children and adults who experience this violence. Really, what we're seeing is how are our nations and pueblos recognizing it first because it's different. It's really the families. And it's hard. It's hard because, again, it's that normalization of violence and the power and control. And when it comes to children, it's really hard to talk about it because yeah. oftentimes it ha- it's a family member who has to report the other fa- the other family member. And it breaks families. It breaks families apart. But it, it's it's important that it gets reported, um, at least gets reported. And it's not a new topic because of the normalization of violence. It's just so hard to seek it out. And what does it really look like when you're when your families are trafficking a child? When your family is trafficking um, an adult? Oftentimes, we see that victims don't know that they're sex trafficked themselves. Um, and we we don't go around saying, like, oh, hey, are you sex trafficked? Like, that's completely, that's not good. People are still trying to have these conversations and really seeing what it looks like in our communities. And um, we are aware of um, nations that are taking action on it and are providing tribal codes on it. Speaking of VAWA, Santa Clara is actually one of the pueblos that's sort of adopting it and and, and um, has the ability to grow from it and really figure out ways to see how VAWA is helping their pueblo. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's amazing. Um, but as far as like sex trafficking, oftentimes too, we see it happening in border towns. So such as like right. Gallup, Albuquerque is a huge border town um, and also a hot spot um, because we do have two of the largest interstates that cross past us. Um, but also along the interstates, there's our nations and our pueblos. And so um, we have heard a lot of um, conversations happening around trafficking in tribal casinos and hotels. And what does that look like as far as like the relationship with the FBI? And so really sex trafficking um, and, and how we see it here is that it's testing all of these governments. Um, because as a state, it seems like the state has, you know, resources such as like high investigation and investigating um, technology and all these different tools to combat it. But forensics. our forensics yeah. and all these teams and all these amazing services to, to deal with the pro- to deal with the problem. However, the victims, the, the 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 victim side of it, the trauma informed, the shelter part of it, that the healing part, the healing part of it, um, is not taken as serious as the getting the bad guy, and you know, state and federal federally, um, sex traffickers don't even get that much time. It's like three three to five years. Um, and That's insane. And, and traffickers are smart, right? They're smart. They study. They know that it takes two hours on the tribal res to get anywhere. It takes, you know, there's hardly any phone signal. Our, our own families, the people who cause harm in our communities, they know that. Probably even grew up with the violence because it's so normalized. But as far as, like, getting help, it just seems like all these legislations that are currently in the works right now, we don't see it. Right. Well, I think that's something that a lot of people may not understand is there is a level of autonomy 
in in the tribal nations mm-hmm. to operate in, in the way that makes the most sense for the tribe. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that that gets overstepped all the time, so I'm not naive to that. Um, and then when help is needed, sometimes it's rarely found from other agencies, uh, state agencies, federal agencies, those types of things. Um, so I'm not naive to, to those things, but I think that maybe there might be some listeners that don't know, you know, that just because something's enacted at the state level or at the federal level doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to translate into any of the Pueblos or into the Diné Nation or into any other uh, tribal lands because they are, to a certain extent, relatively autonomous. Mm-hmm. And I say that understanding yeah. that there's overreach. Yeah. Yeah. When it's not wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, and it's also like, these legislations won't just patch up the problem because our communities are autonomous um, and they know what's best for their communities. And that's why our coalition exists, because we are not um, trying to we're trying to help in ways that the community needs our help. Um, and, and what we've seen that they're all um they're authentically doing it themselves and we see what's working in Santa Clara isn't working in other spaces. Um, what's working in Hickory Apache isn't working in other spaces. Like it's all very different. Um, and when it comes to sex trafficking, even child sexual abuse, a lot of the grooming starts when the child is young. Some nations are, I shouldn't say nations cause it's not just on the tribe, the communities our communities aren't ready to have those conversations. I and um, I think it's important that at whether it's a state or, state or federal level that they support our communities who are trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, we've seen that with Ashlyn Mike. Um, there's a lot of initiatives that came out, on, uh, unfortunately, under those circumstances. Yeah. Um, however, like the Amber Alert system isn't fully set up yet. For Navajo Nation, um, what does it look like as far as the Amber Alert systems communicating with nation with with the community on the ground, um, and what does that response look like? How are communities um, having these tools and resources provided for them and by them? And that's that's only one part of the solution, right? Um, when it comes to children, um, but sex trafficking, it's hard because. It's, it could be anyone. Uh, a lot of people in power can navigate where these conversations can go, whether it's in the legislation. Um, and you, you just never know who it can who can be. And we see, you know, um, here in New Mexico, we did see it's in court right now in conversation um, of the parents trafficking their baby girl and their son, um, their babies. It's hard because now they're under care of the state and we do work with children who've been trafficked in under the care of the state too. And um, we're not direct service. However, like if they want to provide their story, if they're because the coalition, like we work with everyone, it's not just subject to the system. We're so we're, we're, we have a responsibility with our community to the people, to the people. Yeah. and with that, like if a, if a survivor wants to speak, we or want to critique us or in ways that we can improve our programming like we listen we have to listen and um 
yeah, so we work with everyone and um when it comes when it comes to sex trafficking because you can't just learn this out of a book. Right. You got to be in the community and um be aware and just listen because all we have are stories and even, you know, data collection. Data is a huge topic um when it comes to these types of violence or when it comes to violence in general and getting funded. Um we have to have data, but with that like we have stories. Yeah. Um, not many, you know, we don't, we don't want to consider our relatives as numbers. Um, that's not really our way. Our way is just to hear them out and figure out ways to make it better for them. Um, but as far as like services and resources, New Mexico is in need, in need of all of those things, especially our children. Like there is no sex trafficking children like shelter or just a shelter that focuses on sexual abuse for children um new mexico right now really needs to work on that um, that's, a, that's a good point and i think i don't mean to cut you off here, no it's okay but, um I, th- I think the point here is is very clear in my mind it is a difficult subject it's uncomfortable to talk about it it's uncomfortable to call people out that you know that you suspect may be hurting children. It's scary. But if you're not going to do it, who is? So, you know, this is going to everybody that's listening to this podcast. If you're not going to stand up for the children of our state, for the children in your community, who is? Who's going to do it? Um... The fact that there are no safe shelters for children who are being abused and trafficked by their own parents, where are they going to go? Who do they have to turn to? We can't just sit here and let it happen as a community. We have to do something. We have to stand up against this because it's wrong. It's wrong. And there is no easy fix. But talking about it, letting people tell their stories, listening to them, hearing and understanding what's going on, rather than just turning away, I think is the first step. That's very valid. Very valid. Um, because like when a child is trafficked, I'm, I'm grateful that our services are available as far as adults. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to children, there's hardly any. And, you know, our SANE nurses, um, they're nurses who investigate um, sexually assaulted children or cases um, and do all of that. But thank goodness, thank goodness um, they exist because oftentimes if a child is in those types of needs, uh, they have nurses, they have, they provide really good services. So SANE, yeah, SANE exams. So there's that with the parents. So like we do see a lot of in New Mexico, parents trafficking their kids. And then also a, a form of trafficking that we also see is relationships. Um, boyfriends, so-called boyfriends, luring, groom, grooming, coercing um, young girls. Um, and that's a whole other thing, too, um, because our young people, you know, dating Dating is a dating is a big thing in everyone's lives, yeah. um, and we're not telling people to not date, <laughs> but just to be very careful. When you, if you put yourself out there 
we don't know who it is, especially with technology and and, and the power behind technology, because technology has really good power, but it also has a dark side to it, Um, especially if young people want to date. And um, we have seen cases of, you know, children in foster care, um, teenagers in foster care who wanted to date and unfortunately met a trafficker um, and ended up getting trafficked. How can a, a young person educate themselves on the signs so of trafficking? To prepare themselves and protect themselves. I think, yeah, our, our website, um, csvnw.org, if you go down to focus areas, we have traffic, sex trafficking on there. And there's the signs, um, where it's happening, um, and then also just sort of a diagram of power and control again of like once you go on to the state, you know, and right after if that person wants something from you, like please call the 505 Get Free. But also within that too, the response of law enforcement is really out of our hands. It's out of everyone's hands. And law enforcement really needs to be educated about this as well at a human level, not at a Liam Nelson trying to take over everything, but like at a human level of understanding how to work with young people. Law enforcement just needs to learn how to work with victims. We, we need law enforcement. We need them. Um, yeah. We need them to protect the people that can't protect themselves. Mm-hmm. But in order for that to happen, they need to understand what's happening and what those people who need protection are facing. Yeah. We need them to be in the international district. <laughs> we need them to stay there, not, you know... In, yeah. in, in other spaces, like, because we, we see here in Albuquerque, the International District, highly neglected. It's a hotbed for sex trafficking. And it's, a, yeah. Sex work and mm-hmm. drugs. Mm-hmm. We need them to take these traffickers down. <laughs> yeah. But we also need people to report them when, when they're aware of it happening as well. So yeah. I think that's... We, I did see this case when, uh, when was it, like last year? Um, I have it here in my notes. Trafficking victim who was chained inside of a house in the international district, and she called the cops. And the cops, APD, ended up not responding in the ways that they should. They were supposed to respond to the victim, Rather than responding to the victim, they were, they saw some cars that were stolen outside. They reported the, on the stolen cars rather than actually getting to the victim. And so in that case, in the gaps that we see, we need law enforcement to really like, I know it's hard because I'm not law enforcement, but to really do their job. If a victim is calling you, please go to the victim. Mm-hmm. If a victim needs help, like, please report it. Don't try and like, Look for stolen cars, look for stolen goodies, because right after that happened to her, right after the cops didn't go to her, the trafficker came home, knew that she called the cops and ended up almost killing her. She got, she got beat up and she was held in hostage for two weeks right after that. And so, you know, there's, that's a big gap of, um, of ways that law enforcement really needs to do better um, in protecting trafficking victims. Um, but also, um, 
if they don't want to respond to law enforcement, maybe just calling 505 Get Free because that that hotline number exists for a reason and they do have advocates on standby. And there's also the um, First Nations East program, which is sort of like the aftercare of sex trafficking. And there's also the CARES program that they have that's like in crisis. So if they want to get away or if they need help filing for or even calling the cops, um, there's like steps they can take at First Nations, which is also located in the International District. The 505 Get Free hotline, is that 24 hours? Yes. Okay. Yeah. A part of the um, Sovereign Bodies Institute report that came out on missing and murdered Indigenous women. Um, the, so what they did was evaluate or at least reach out to the police. So they, they did case studies on police and seeing like what their findings are um, as far as like how does the reporting um, look like. And it took up to almost six months to a year and a half for law enforcement to respond um, as far as just getting numbers. And about that report, a lot of the things that they looked at as far as like the database and how they're tracking is... Of course, race, um, the conviction of the status before and after, um, what was the relation to the victim, um, if there was a reward, and if, if oftentimes, like, they did see a lot of young moms, or just mothers in general, being targets within this study. Um, And I think that's something that really, like, it touched my heart once I heard that, because I was like... I can count how many of my aunties, my mom, even my mom and my aunties and my grandma have been targeted on, on violence from their partners and how normalized that was, how normalized that violence was because of like if or it was single mothers, single mothers being targeted. And if a single mom were to struggle, how many people would actually help her, um, whether it's needing a ride or feeding her kids Um in her experiencing violence, like, and, and just seeing that this study did hit hard, it hit close to home, yeah. um, of how important it is that we protect mothers, yeah. um, who, who are, who are, um, doing, doing their best to raise kids and, um, and just how important it is to know what a healthy relationship is. Um, and I think as far as like recommending, um, hope for our communities um, is learning what it takes to be in a healthy relationship, um, looking at consent. What does consent mean? Because oftentimes we see young kids being told to sit on that man's lap or go kiss that man on the cheek. And it's like, well, I don't really know that man. Don't, don't do that. Um, and just learning, like, what does consent look like? What does it look for your kids to know what le- consent is? Because, People be taking pictures of kids mm-hmm. um, and doing it without consent. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what consent was until I started working here um, and how important that is in order for our communities to also know and just making sure that the autonomy of yourself is being practiced. Even for a child. Even for a child. Um, a child a, a child should know what consent is. They, they should have the, the right and the freedom to say no. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. like an adult should, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I feel like that's something that gets 
overlooked and sometimes people feel they can press their own agendas on to kids yeah uh, but kids are people mm-hmm. yeah and they deserve the right to say no i agree and um they need to know how to say no because we're we're living in a world that is constantly moving fast and you know it's good to hear no sometimes yeah it's good to hear no Let's see. Consent, healthy relationships, access to resources. Um, on our coalition page, we have a new, um, we have a new setting on there um, called the Advocacy Corner, and within that, there's you know um, resources of shelters, um, services, direct services because we're not direct service here. However, we do help and assist with direct service providers and whatever they may need. But we do have access um, to all of our nations and pueblos and also within the cities of shelters, services. Um, we also have hotlines. So if suicide, um, we have suicide hotlines. If you know of an individual that um, is having a hard time, definitely giving them that. Um, and then also um, Strong Hearts Hotline. Um, it's a, a sort of um, native, it's a, it's native specific, um, but it's open to anyone. But for like an individual with struggling in the checkerboard region, mm-hmm. um, that hotline would be able to track and see what services near that area is willing to help. Because oftentimes, like if you call a hotline and they're like, "Oh, that's in, that's not in our jurisdiction," hang up. Um, so this hotline is really unique because it works with everyone, um, regardless of where you're at. Strong Hearts Hotline is located out of Austin, Texas. It was created through the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center, which is located in Montana. Um, so they're a sister coalition, and so they actually help um, fund this and created this as far as like assisting our, sist- our, our relatives. And so that number is 1-844-762-8800. So if you're in need of resources and you're not sure where to go, um, it sounds like Strong Heart Hotline will match you with whatever resources are available in your area. Um, so that'll be good. We also have um, Intimate Partner Violence Hotline, C- um, CYFD. Um, and all of this is on your website? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. A part of the conversations that we're having as far as trafficking children or is oftentimes we hear child prostitute, we hear um, the child had sex with this person, which is very disheartening um, and inhumane because children cannot consent to sex. Um, And we often hear that as sort of like rape culture of child prostitution and how often that gets in the way and completely normalizes again. child Dehumanizes. Yeah children um and we hear even like adults within this field say child prostitute when in fact like that's very inhumane dehumanizing um children and i just want to put that out there that once if you hear anyone saying that like please correct them please correct them because words matter um you can't normalize the sexual assault of a child. It's not okay. Yeah. Words matter. Mm-hmm. 
And we see that a lot, like, within rape culture, um, especially with the whole case with, like, R. Kelly Mm -hmm. and targeting young black girls Mm -hmm. um, and how oftentimes, again, dehumanized. And when that, when just the conversation about R. Kelly comes out, like, he targeted children, Mm -hmm. he raped children. Mm -hmm. And it's important in the way that you, and that we talk about, these instances and these events in these hard in the state of violence when we talk about the state of violence we have to be careful with what we say because it could it could go a long way and if the listeners of r kelly can really like see what he's done Mm -hmm. he's a rapist he's a trafficker he and he's a child molester child rapist um it's important to making sure that we use the proper terms. We call it what it is. We call it for what it is and not say child prostitute and normalize it. We call it as um, the rape of a child. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else that you want to share with my listeners? Any, any final thoughts? Um, yeah. Um, please take care of yourself. I know we've talked about a lot of um, uncomfortable. This is a very uncomfortable topic, but in order to move forward, in order to grow and just keep the conversation going, um, we're going to have to be uncomfortable. And um, in, in order to move forward and learn what it takes to advocate for our communities and to have that autonomy and to protect each other and to be a good relative. And yeah, so definitely check out our website. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at csvnw.org. And um, yeah, so thank you. Thank you, Cheyenne. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you like True Consequences, please rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please also share True Consequences with your friends. Let them know that there's a New Mexico-focused podcast hosted, produced, and created by me, Eric Carter-Landin, a local New Mexican born and raised. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, New Mexico. True Consequences is written, produced, edited, and created by me, Eric Carter-Landin, your host. Thanks again for listening.